What does loving your neighbor actually look like? This is Journey with Care, where curious Canadians get inspired to love others well through real life stories and honest conversations. Divine Providence. Traditional theism holds that God is the creator of heaven and earth, and that all that occurs in the universe takes place under divine providence. That is, under God's sovereign guidance and control. According to believers, God governs creation as a loving father, working all things for good. Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy. All right, here we are. Welcome to Journey with Care. We are starting off this new season, season three, with a three-episode series. I am on with my daughter, Danica. Hello, Danica. Hey. And just for the sake of clarity and giving context to what this episode and what this series is going to be about, Danica is our adult adopted daughter, and it's been just over a year and a half since we started using that familial language. So we're going to be talking about Danica's journey about her early life experiences and how she came into our family. Just an awesome story about God's sovereignty and how he brings people into families and he makes families stronger and he brings joy into families. So I want to bring Danica on to share her story and maybe we can even learn a little bit more about each other in the process. But really just want to dig into your story because I think that there's a lot there that will bring value to a lot of our listeners. Because this podcast is all about how to love our neighbors better. Yeah. Like, we'll talk about it later in the podcast. But in my opinion, I think adult children who don't have that, like, mother or father in their life, which is becoming more and more common when it comes to, like, spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers, is I've noticed it's like, oh, it's more like if you find someone that's the same gender as you. But for those who have that loss and that lack, but it's like, for me, I'm a woman. A lot of churches, especially like when I was starting to become an adult, they're like, oh, that's inappropriate. You're good. You're 18 now. You're fine. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. But it's like, you still need your dad and you still need a mom. And so it's just, I think this is a really important thing that isn't talked about in the church. You don't typically see these examples. And so my hope is that if there are people out there who are like, you don't have your dad in your life or your mom in your life. It's okay for unconventional things to happen and to do things that are against the grain. Just follow discernment and let the Lord lead in it. Yeah, in fact, there's been an official Surgeon General warning that the next epidemic is loneliness. Hmm. And that's crazy if you think about it. Throughout COVID, I mean, that's definitely contributed to loneliness and people being isolated for so long. And I believe the Lord sets the lonely in families. That's you know, something he loves to do and wants to continue to do. So let's get right into your story, Danica. I want to hear a little bit about your childhood, whatever you want to share. Tell us a little bit about your background story, maybe early years. What are some of the good memories you had? Maybe some challenges? Mm-hmm. So I was born in Alberta. And so I grew up with my dad, actually. And so for my early years, I was very close with him. Like pictured perfect definition of a daddy's girl. He was pretty much all my childhood memories revolve around stuff with him or like our extended side of the family on the paternal side. And so, yeah, like I would talk to him a lot. We had a garage and he would be in the garage like smoking and having one or two beers more than you should. 
And then I would just be sitting on the garage steps and we'd be talking. And it's either we're listening to Stuart McLean or um, Vinyl Tap. I believe it was Sundays after the Vinyl Cafe, they would do like the rock and roll thing. And so I grew up with like learning to appreciate classic rock and learning to appreciate history. And so those are like my fondest memories is talking to my dad about world wars or we discussed World War II a lot because my family's background is Austrian. And so that's a very big piece in our family history. And so my dad and I were really close and he was pretty much like if someone asked me who my hero was, it was him. And before you get into some of the challenges, which it feels like you're transitioning to. Yeah. I can see already that a lot of that has shaped you to the person you are today. Like even those early childhood memories and listening to music. I know like you love vinyl. We bought you a record for Christmas. And, yeah, yeah. And you've, like you love history. You've, you go through documentaries all the time. And that's just a big part of who you are. So that's not a piece that you've shut off. Like you've taken those good memories and you've, yeah. you've brought them alongside to the person you are today. Like, I know I didn't come by this naturally. So how early were those childhood memories that you're talking about in the garage? I can honestly remember going as far back as like kindergarten. So about five. I think even a little bit before that is when I remember being in the garage. And it was like pretty much every single night for like an hour or two. That was my routine. So that was your time in Calgary. You moved at some point, right? Mm -hmm. Is that a transitioning point in part of this story here? That is the biggest transitioning point, even just as a family, was that move. And so I would say the challenges started before we moved. My parents were separated before we had moved from Calgary. And then they got back together and did like marriage counseling. And I was 11 going on 12 at the time. And then a year later, they were like, hey, since we've known each other, we've wanted to get a farm and be farmers. And I was like, okay. And so they just kind of told us one night, because I, I have one sibling, and they're like, we're going to move to a farm. So is that, do you think that was kind of like a fresh start that they wanted? Yeah, 100%. Like, that's how they presented it to us. It's like, this is going to be a new beginning for our family, and that we'll have, like, horses living with us and, like, any animal we want. And so... Do you remember what it was like during the separation period for you? It was hard. I think that's one area of my childhood that I, I kind of blocked out. But my dad was still pretty close at that point. And I think it only really lasted like two months before they decided to work on it. But I remember like we were going to move to Winnipeg or something. And so I was a little bit excited about that because we do have some family here on my mom's side. And so it was a very different response at that time. But I think it was that my dad was in a healthier mindset. His mental decline didn't start until we moved from Calgary. Now, when you talk about mental decline, what kind of things are you talking about? Um, so my dad is a veteran. And so he was a peacekeeper from 93 till I think like 96. So he went over to Croatia, was his first deployment. And so he, he developed post-traumatic stress disorder from that. And it was left untreated because that can sleep is a term that I've seen is that you can have it but not have any symptoms for years and so 
he didn't start having the symptoms of having it until I was like 13-ish. That's when I've noticed that's when my dad's personality and started to change. Do you think that contributed to some of the marital issues that your parents had? I think that's the entirety of the marital issues for my parents is that my dad, he completely changed. Like the stories I heard from them, like when they met and stuff like that, he's not like that. And he was never like that either when I was a kid. So I think my mom, the decline started a lot sooner, but the very noticed personality change was started when I was 13. Now let's go back to the transition to the farm. What do you remember feeling when they talked about moving to a farm? And that's in Saskatchewan, right? A different province. Yeah. I wasn't excited. I really loved my paternal side of the family and they all lived there. And I loved our house. I liked horses. Like we, we had had two horses we were boarding in Turner Valley, but I liked not living with them. It was nice, but I wasn't excited. I'm not like, like I like the outdoors, but I'm not like a, I want to go out at minus 40 and feed the horses kind of girl. And so I wasn't excited about it. I was like, um, can we just stay here? But no, I got more excited after we started looking at farms and stuff. So how about your sister? Oh, she was pumped. Yeah. Well, she loves, loves animals. Like that's her thing. And so she was really excited to be on the farm and getting to do all that stuff and getting chickens and whatever else we ended up getting down the road. So. Tell me about the early days at the farm. What was that like? I actually remember the first day we were there. It was weird. Like, we were in a much bigger house than we had been in Calgary. And I've always loved rocks. That's another thing that I've loved since childhood. And so we had, like, gravel paths all over. So I, in the early days, I would just go outside hunting for rocks. There was a lot of quartz and stuff in that area. So I just, that's what I did. And, like, walking and listening to music or, like, making up stories and other worlds in my head, like just what I would usually do. But I had a very hard time adjusting to being in the middle of nowhere. Were you able to make some friends? A couple. I wasn't really a kid that really made friends. I mean, I talked to my dad about dictators at the gate of eight. I don't recommend that for making friends. (laughs) (laughs) So I've always kind of been like the weird kid and like the misfit. So I made like one or two friends, but that was about it. So it's just like the isolation, like that's when I started noticing that our family didn't really have close family friends or I didn't really have friends back in Calgary. Like that's when I started to notice that there is a lot of isolation and like seclusion in my life with our family style. So your parents wanted the fresh start at the farm. Did you notice that it helped at the beginning? And when did you see that decline? I cannot tell you why my parents decided buying a farm an hour and 15 minutes away from my dad's office was a good idea. So he had to commute every day? Yeah, there and back. And then he had to get a second job because, you know, land taxes are like really high and it's farms are expensive. He would um, go to work for like eight hours a day and then he would go and work at the Home Depot for like four to six hours at night and then come home. So. In the beginning, we didn't see him that much. We only really saw him on Sundays or the odd Saturday that he wasn't working at Home Depot, but he wasn't really home. When you were in Calgary, you had that time in the garage with him. Mm -hmm. 
How did that change your relationship with your dad not having as much time with him on the farm because he had to commute so much? Well, I'm a very stubborn person. And so for the first time in my entire life, I stopped listening to my mom and I would just stay up and wait for him. The biggest challenge was finding a new garage spot, actually. The garage in the house didn't really have a place for me to sit. And then my mom's like, you're not smoking in the garage near the house because there's like sheds and stuff now. It's actually kind of funny. We ended up going to like like the one shed that was like kind of like in really bad condition. Like I'm talking like bats are in there and it's the old like workshop and stuff. So it still has like all the wood built in wood benches and like the built in like storage for like nuts and bolts. And there was a lot of leftover things. And so my dad and I would we started to transition back to garage talks, but I only think we had a handful of them before and and that's I I really did notice a decline then. He was more to himself and more pauses in conversation or there would be times that if I got something wrong that he would snap at me which was not usual. And so the disconnect with my dad started around that time and so I really tried to maintain that and it was it was a very difficult year on the farm to transition. So I guess with some of the decline in the PTSD uh, that took a toll on their marriage as well at that time. So that's when you're beginning to see a decline in your parents' relationship as well. Yeah. And how was your sister handling that? Um, she didn't handle the move well, actually. she. So she looked forward to it, but when she got there... Yeah, it was just, it was a really big change. Living in a new space was really hard for her. I don't know so much on her end. We don't really talk about this, but she was not as close with my dad as I was. So it was a very different experience for her. So when did your parents decide to get that divorce? And how do you remember feeling at that point? It was the January after our first Christmas there as a family. And how old were you there? I was, I was 14 at that time. And they sat us down and for a family meeting. And I don't remember how they said it. But what I remember is they're like, they were going to separate. But this time was going to be for real. And that my dad didn't want to work on the marriage this time. And so I was absolutely devastated this time. Do you remember some of the questions going on in your head at that time? At first, I was I was just wondering where he would end up. Like, was he going to go back to Calgary? Like, what would custody be like? And so just all those questions going through my mind. And the one thing we did learn is that the farm we had bought, the more time he spent on it, the more it triggered his PTSD. And so that also made his PTSD worse because apparently some of the layout on our farm was very similar to his base camp. So that was that was um, also when we found out about the PTSD for the first time. So the divorce happens. Uh, what happens to your parents at that point? So my dad slept downstairs because we had like a room downstairs. And then his goal was to stay until my sister and I both had our birthdays that year. But then he found... He found a really good deal for a house to rent closer to his job. So he moved out like I think three weeks after. How did you feel when he moved out? I still have that memory of him getting in his car and driving away very vividly in my mind. I think that was like one of the hardest points of it was watching my dad leaving. And he took like two of the dogs with him too. So it was just like it made it more real. And like my birthday was very important to me. Now it's like it's mixed. but. It really hurt that he didn't keep his word and that he w- he left. So it was just, 
I think I just kind of got so overwhelmed with it that it was more of a numb feeling and like a shock, like he's actually going. So what happened to your relationship with him after he's moved away? So the first couple months, he would email regularly. And then if you didn't contact him, he wouldn't contact you. So slowly, I just didn't hear from him. And we didn't see him. I don't think we'd gone out to visit or see. Yeah, actually, we didn't go and see his house for like ever. So we didn't see him after he left when he drove away. And he didn't visit too often? Never. He would, he'd never step foot on the farm again after that. I think there's only one other time he did, but that's it. What happened then? What happened at that point? Well, this is a really great transition because it's like, so I wasn't raised as a Christian. I was actually raised in, my dad's like a really hardcore atheist, like hardcore. Interesting. Yeah. I'm talking like talking about just certain things about Christianity, very negative light growing up. But I've always been interested in church, like for some reason that just never got drilled into my head is that Christians were bad. So even though you're heavily influenced by your dad and some of his likes and interests, that's one thing that didn't seem to stick. That one didn't stick. I I knew he was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) But so what ended up happening is we got invited to youth group in the small town near where we lived. And it was my first time ever being in a church. And that was my first time hearing about Jesus and like him. What kind of church was that? It was a Pentecostal church. And so it was the first time I'd ever heard the gospel. Like I didn't know anything about Jesus dying on the cross or things like that. And so I almost gave my life to Jesus like right then and there. But I, I actually waited a long time. I put it off for a very long time. How old were you at that point? Um, I was still 14 at that point. So it was very, it was like a month after my dad left because at that point I was in the school in town. And so the pastor's kid was actually in my class and had told them that like, hey, someone in my class, it's not good. And so we got connected to church. And then my mom was like, we have a meeting with the pastor to see if this church works for us. And I was like, what do you mean if this church works for us? And she's like, I've been a Christian this whole time. And so we went from being a non-Christian household to like a Christian household by like October of that year, which was pretty wild. Your mom was a secret Christian. Yeah. Yeah, she was. So you accepted Jesus. How has that influenced your relationship with your father and mother at that point? Did it change anything? So it did. It did change a lot with my dad. I didn't tell him I was a Christian until like months later. You had some fear there? Oh, yeah. Like, that's why I didn't accept Jesus right away, man. I was like, whoa. What will my dad think? Yeah, I'm like, what's dad going to think that I've lost my mind? And so it was after going to Bible camp that summer. And then I had been actually serving in the church at Sunday school and like a kid's group. And then I just finally was like, oh, well, you know what? At this point, I probably should become a Christian. <laughs> and, I, and I knew Jesus was real. So I was just like, I like ripped off the bandaid. And then it was months later, I finally told my dad. And it was in an email. And I think, what did I write to him? It was really like short. I was like, hey, dad, I'm a Christian now. I hope you don't hate me. Bye. Did you get a response? I did. And he's like, it's okay. I love you no matter what. But it drastically changed our relationship. In what ways? Well, I would talk about Jesus. Like, I didn't see him that often either. So I think it's just a mix of everything. Like, he's declining. And like, with PTSD, 
one of the symptoms is that you are in survival mode. So like fight or flight all the time. And what that means is you're only using one part of your brain. And so the part of your brain for connecting with people, building relationships and trust and those emotions, you're not using anymore. And the longer you do that, the harder it is to go back. And so my dad was just losing that ability to have emotions towards another person and to trust people. And so now you have a lot of knowledge of that stuff now, especially being in school and doing social mm -hmm. work programs. Back then, what were you thinking as kids? Did you know he had he struggled with mental health? Did you learn on how that would affect him and on how it would affect you guys as a family? No, there was no resources then for families. We tried so hard to find family resources to explain it, but PTSD research was still pretty new. And so, yeah, it's just you don't understand it. So I didn't understand that when I was 14 to 18. Um, it was very recent that I finally gone in and researched it enough to have that understanding of why it happened. But for me at the time, it just felt like my dad didn't love me anymore. And the worse it got, the more I felt this way. And so what ended up happening was I explain it like the like it was like a revolving door. So what would happen is we wouldn't talk for months because I'm like, I want my dad to contact me first. And then I don't hear from him for months. And then at one point, I'm like, I forgive him. God is good. He'll bring him back in my life. I'll be a light. And then I contact him. And then we'd like go to a museum or something every once in a while, we'd talk on the phone. And then it would get bad and he'd start hurting my feelings. And I would be like, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to close the door. And then it would just start again. And it was like that for like 10 years. So let's talk about some of those high school years after you got saved. Mm -hmm. Go through that time frame for me of what it was like just leading up into the next transition period. So high school sucked. Like I made friends, but oh man, small towns. <laughs> everyone knows everyone and everyone knows everything. And so I experienced a lot of bullying. Again, it's like it's being that like misfit and that different kid. And I was quite an outspoken Christian without knowing how to be an outspoken Christian correctly. So that didn't help. But yeah, I just didn't really have close friends in my actual grade class. And like in a small town, like the one we were in, you're with those people till you graduate. So I spent five years with people I didn't like. And so I was also like one of the smartest kids in the class and then a bit of a teacher's pet because I get along with adults a lot better than I do people my age. Always been like that. And so I just, I was the weird kid. And even at youth group, I was the weird kid. Like I was, I'm not putting anyone down. I'm not going to like be like, I was like the super Christian, but I was, I was a little bit more like invested in like really loving Jesus. And I think part of that was I was so determined to like that God was going to use me like have my dad get saved and then his PTSD would get healed and everything would be okay. And so like a lot happened there. And I spent most of my high school years feeling very much like on my own with very intense anxiety and depression. And my family unit with my mom and my sister was also really, really strained. And so I just felt like I, all I had in the world was Jesus and that was it. How is it strained? My sister and I reacted very differently. She um, didn't want a relationship with my dad, and I did. And then 
I ended up spending a lot of time with my mom. So it kind of became like she didn't really get as much attention. And so it was hard for us all. It's hurting people hurt. And we all responded very differently. And I think, you know, we didn't have family around. We didn't really have that support system. And so it was just, it was really tricky. And, you know, you add mental health into stuff and it's just, it's, it's hard, you know, especially then like people were just starting to talk about it and that it was okay to have it, but the stigma was still very strong. So recently I didn't know it at the time because of how my dad treated me and then some other events at my church and with friends like gossiping and bullying and stuff it wasn't just anxiety depression i was developing what is called complex post traumatic stress disorder and the only difference is between the two is for my dad it's one event that traumatized him it was being a soldier but for complex post traumatic stress disorder this is more so experienced by people who have had adverse childhood experiences and trauma and trauma and so it's because you just have repeated things that are very traumatic were happening over and over and over again and so your brain develops in survival mode and so that's what i lived in for all of high school that feeling of like who hates me did i do everything right am i going to be misunderstood oh did i make a mistake i don't want people to think i'm a bad christian and just on and on and on and so that was another part of the isolation for me is I just, I didn't feel loved and I didn't trust anybody, not even my own family at that point. So small town Saskatchewan, bullying at school, feeling like a misfit, that sounds like a formula for someone that would probably try to escape at some point. So where did that happen? When did that happen? And how did that happen? Well, one thing with my youth group is they're really connected to a Bible college. And so we would go to like youth retreat weekends once a year. Highlight of my year, by the way. Amazing experience. And so I decided that like from 16 on that I was going to go to that Bible college and like get completely healed and, you know, find my community of people and have friends for the rest of your life. You know, like the idealistic, like I just want to get out of here. And so I spent a summer working at the Bible camp I had first attended. I'd done that for many summers, and then I moved to this Bible college. That was right after graduation? Yeah, it was the year after graduation. I didn't take a year off. And so this also strained my dad's and I's relationship quite a bit. What was it like when you told him you're going to Bible college? He didn't take that well. He didn't understand why I was wasting my money on something that wasn't going to get me a job. And so it was weird, actually. I tried to explain to him that it's like, it's a year to like find who you are, learn more about God, like decide what you want to do with your life. And then apparently he had a coworker that was a Christian. And so he was talking to his coworker and his coworker was the one that helped my dad accept it. There's always those uh, double agents amongst us, aren't there? Yeah. I still pray for that person regularly. I don't know who they are, but like, I'm like, hey, listen, you're the only light in my dad's life I know of right now. He's on you. I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> So what was it like being in Bible college for that first little bit? Well, it was not what I expected and not the good way. Well, what did you expect? I expected to be accepted by people and not be the misfit anymore. And that didn't happen. And I had an absolute mental breakdown, actually, when I first went. And 
as because of my experience with trauma. And I didn't know that at the time. And so... Which, by the way, it's one of the reasons why we do trauma care training at Care Impact is we believe these organizations, church organizations, should all have this trauma care training because there's young people like Danica coming into these situations with trauma and they don't know how to handle it. But yeah. that's just a sidebar. So Yeah, we'll just... Keep going. <laughs> quick plug there for trauma care. It's not been until recent years talking to some people that I went to Bible school with that I realized that the idea that they didn't like me was just in my head and that the anxiety I felt was just what I felt. But yeah, you have trauma responses. You protect yourself. You know, it's all I knew was people hurting me and being afraid and all these different things. And so that made it really difficult to be at Bible college. And the only thing that really was great is that I just wasn't at home. And I did have like a hand, like three people that I, I ended up getting really close to. And so I did, I did have like a small group of friends. And so I'm still friends with them today. And I'm really thankful for them. Like they walk, they've been people that have like walked through most of my discovery of what trauma is and honestly, and helping me to accept the things that have happened to me and to move forward and stuff. So, but at the time it was awful. And I was like, I was really struggling and feeling like I was on my own still. And it was just me and Jesus. And so it actually really, the one thing that really came out of that whole transition period and even like high school was that I wasn't going to God as a father. That was not happening. But I went to him as my friend. And so I knew his voice well. And I knew he loved me. I just knew all things would work out because of um, Romans 8. Summarize Romans 8. Um, so the section of Romans 8 um, is like, it's like living that spirit-filled life, which was like, I wanted that. I wanted to walk with God in that way. But specifically the chapter on like love, where it's like, you know, you're no longer a slave. You're loved by God. And you're like, I think that does talk about adoption in some point into his family. And then the way that nothing can separate you from the love of God. And then also all things work out for the good and for the glory of God for those who love him. And knowing that all I needed to do in any situation was love God. And that's it. And then just trust him. It would work out for his glory. And that's like, that got me through high school and that got me through my year at Bible college. It's just every time I felt anxious or depressed or just something happened, I would just feel like I just need to keep loving God. And then that just got me through. So we're coming close to the point where I get to meet you, mm -hmm. uh, but we're going to save that for the next episode. Yeah. <laughs> if we can end the episode by me asking you, if you had to give your 18-year-old self any piece of advice going back, uh, as you entered Bible college, what would that be? Um, it's not so much advice because I'm really thankful for next episode. You'll figure out why. Um, I'm really thankful for how that year did play out. I would say it's okay to be a misfit. Embrace it. I would also tell her that the program you ended up taking is what God wanted you to do. And you do figure out why. And then I'd also say, I also wouldn't change a thing. I'm very thankful for everything that will end up happening and all the hard stuff and the good stuff. And the, there's more reassurance and the decisions I make going forward all work out and that God, God does answer our prayers and it's just, it's going to be okay. And we're going to get where we want to be. Thanks for sharing your story. Looking forward to next chapter because that's the chapter that I get excited about because I get to meet you. So yeah, yeah. And 
Yeah, and it gets a lot less like depressing at that point. <laughs> Thank you for joining another conversation on Journey with Care, where we inspire curious Canadians on their path of faith and living life with purpose in community. Journey with Care is an initiative of Care Impact, a Canadian charity dedicated to connecting and equipping the whole church to journey well in community. You can visit their website at careimpact.ca or visit journeywithcare.ca to get more information on weekly episodes, Journey with Prayer, and details about our upcoming events and meetups. You can also leave us a message, share your thoughts, and connect with like-minded individuals who are on their own journeys of faith and purpose. Thank you for sharing this podcast and helping these stories reach the community. Together we can explore ways to journey in a good way. And always remember to stay curious. Stay curious.